Good morning. It is so, so great to be with y'all today. I hope you had a non-gluttonous Thanksgiving meal. I hope it was a wonderful feast in all seriousness. I hope you had a great time with family and friends this week. And visitors, I want to thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for being here. And I know we got some family in town, I'm sure. Thank you for joining us. And if you have any questions about 4th Avenue, we'd love to get to know you guys and love to get to love your families. So thank you for being here. And just to reiterate again, no classes today. Um, Go eat all the food you want in a proportional way. Uh, That makes sense. Um, But enjoy the time of fellowship afterwards and together with family. There are these two young fish swimming along. And as they're swimming along, an older fish comes in the opposite direction and says, Morning, boys. How's the water? And the two younger fish swim on for a little bit further. And one turns to the other and says, What on earth is water? That is from the famous commencement speech of David Foster Wallace. And the point of him talking about this little story of these two fish is to illustrate that the most clear and obvious realities around us may be the hardest to recognize and the hardest to talk about. Just like how fish may not be aware that they are totally surrounded by water, even though that is one of the truest realities for them. And whenever I think about that metaphor, I think it's actually a really helpful one to help us think about our sin. Today we're wrapping up our series, The Enemy, And in this series so far, we've looked at a lot of the different enemies, antagonists, whatever you want to call it, villains in Scripture, ranging from Satan to evil rulers to prophets of God to God's people who were rebelling against him in the wilderness. But more importantly, we have been looking at the many ways in which sin is within us. We are often so quick to villainize other people villainize our culture, villainize the other side, but we don't spend much time growing in awareness of our own reality of sin. Some might want to yell amen to those who are protesting the ways that we see sin in this culture, calling for people to repent. And you know, I think there's places for that and ways to do that, and God, that is God-honoring and good. But at the same time, a lot of those same people aren't including themselves in the repentance aren't aware of the ways in which pride or vainglory or greed or whatever it is, is deeply entrenched in themselves. And to be clear, I hope you can see from the series, I am good with calling sin, sin. (laughs) I think it is important to do so. But at the same time, I want us to recognize that that sin is within us as well. Sometimes I don't think we understand just how much sin is ingrained in us. Some of that could be simply a lack of self-awareness. Some of that might come from ignorance and not knowing what is of God and what is not. Some of it may come from apathy or fear to do any sort of self-reflection and see what is inside of our hearts. Some of it may come from previous feelings of shame, perhaps even from other Christians. However, in order for us to be formed more and more into the likeness of Jesus, we need to grow in recognition of what 
habits, thoughts, and motives are actually deforming our character. As such, I hope you avoided the temptation to listen to all the sermons in the series for other people. Oh, so-and-so really needs to hear this. No, you need to hear this. We all need to hear this, right? If we talk about things like believing lies, pride, vainglory, envy, sloth, wrath, lust, greed, and gluttony, and don't walk away feeling at least a little bit convicted of how that might be in us, then we are either perfect or we are deceiving ourselves. Of everything that I just listed right there, I am guilty of all of them. And I would wager that most everyone, if not everyone, is as well. In fact, one of the kinds of comments that I've gotten from this series that is some of my favorite (laughs) is whenever people say, they hear the topic of the day and they're like, oh, good, I have an off week. That that one doesn't apply to me. That's not a big deal. Only to find out, oh, yeah, yeah, that's a big problem. (laughs) That's a a problem in my life that I got to address. And sin is a problem, right? Sin brings death and destruction into our world, into God's good world, and we contribute to that. And sometimes I think we just kind of take it all too lightly, that we're kind of callous to it. That's why I pray frequently for God to help me become aware of my own sin, because I know I have it. I want God to give me his eyes to see sin as this grotesque, malformed cancer for my soul that it is. Because if we do not see it in that way, then there's not going to be much of an effort to stop it. But partnering with the Spirit of God to fight back against the sin in our lives is so necessary to being a follower of Jesus. And this is part of the global church's mission. (laughs) This church and the church, global church, is supposed to be a hospital for those who have been beaten down by their sin and the sin of this world. There is supposed to be healing that is found in this people and in this place. And praise God that so many of you have found that here with this group of people. But how often in all churches, not just ours, but all churches, before or after service, do we just kind of keep our conversation super surface, super light, not ever talking about what's really going on in our lives? Because we all got stuff going on in our lives. And if you don't think you do, I really believe you're lying to yourself. We all have personal sin. We all have been affected by the sin of this world. And if we're not finding healing here, where are we going to find it? So many of us act like we do not have a story like Paul, in which we were these huge sinners before we came to know Jesus. That, you know, I've been faithful my whole life. And, And we can see ourselves as having a pretty righteous life. But church, we all have that story. We all have that story that we are big sinners, not just kind of sinners. Our sins may not include things that give us jail time, but it could be hypocritical condemnation of other people. It could be gossip. It could be gluttony or greed or simply being angry with a brother or sister, right? Those are all sins. They're just more socially acceptable. It's so easy to deceive ourselves and paint this picture that we are always the good guys. We might be quick to say that we aren't perfect, and we're not, but it's much more than that. We all have deep brokenness in us. In fact, we have all been, at different points in our lives, enemies of God. 
We have been buffeted by the ripple effect of sin done in the world and we contribute to the power of that ripple effect in other people's lives. Even one harsh word, even one bad deed done to another person can contribute to generational sin. That's sobering. And that's intimidating and scary to be like, wow, I have that much of a propensity to really mess up the world. (laughs) That's one of the things that freaks me out about being a parent in the future is, man, how am I going to wound my child? (laughs) It's inevitable. It's going to happen. But just one word, one thing that that we do can cause so much damage. And one day we're going to face judgment before God. Like, this is a freaky thing if you really start thinking about it. We all have been guilty in a measure that I don't think we can fully wrap our heads around. We have all fallen woefully short of what God wants for our lives. And there's your sermon for today, worship team. Uh, Go ahead and come on up. Have a wonderful time with family. No, kidding. We're not stopping there. But this is a heavy topic. I know it is. It's hard being honest, standing in front of a mirror, metaphorically, and looking at the ways in which there is brokenness inside of us. The church is so necessary. And once we start scratching the surface of just how deep and wide our sin is, man, it can make us feel pretty small. It can make us feel hopeless. It can make us question, does God really love me? Does God put up with me? Does God like being with me? For a large part of my life, I really wrestled with how God sees me. I had this sort of theology that if I sinned in some way, I had to make sure I confessed it to God in prayer because if I didn't, it wouldn't be forgiven. So anytime that I would sin, I would just be praying for God to forgive me. But like if, if I sinned, If I got into a car accident or something and I said a bad word before I died and didn't have a chance to, you know, say, Lord, please forgive me, I'd be toast. And living that way is terrifying. It's it's really scary. And whenever you realize just how deep your sin is and how everywhere it is, it's even more scary. But while our sin is so massive... That is not the whole story. One of my favorite books in all of the Bible is Romans. And one day I will do a series on this. But it is such a masterpiece of a letter. One of my favorite chapters of Romans is chapter 5. And in this part of Romans, Paul is talking about salvation through faith in Jesus. And in Romans 5 verse 6, it says this. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us. He will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still his enemies, he will certainly, we will certainly be saved 
through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. Amen? That is powerful. Though we are drowning in sin, though it is much bigger than we can even know and are helpless against it, we are powerless against it. We cannot help but sin. We cannot help but choose a destructive path for ourselves. While we are so guilty and ridden with sin, God's love is so evidently shown in that Christ came to die. And not for those who are mostly good people. Not for the ones who have managed to attend church every single Sunday. But to the sinners. And this matches up with what Jesus talks about in his own ministry. He did not come for the healthy, but for the sick. Right? And here's a hint. We're all sick. And that's really good news. We hear of so many stories of sacrifice. Hollywood loves stories of sacrifice. You think about Armageddon, the movie with Bruce Willis. And I'm not going to say spoiler alert, that came out in the 90s. Y'all had your chance, okay? (laughs) Bruce Willis sacrifices his life for the whole of the planet as he destroys this asteroid or meteor. I still don't know really the difference between those. And it, it goes away and Earth is saved. We see stories where the hero sacrifices for the greater good of all humanity. Or if we look at Avengers Endgame, again, you had your chance. Tony Stark, he sacrifices himself to restore half of humanity that was lost. Right? There are so many stories of sacrifice where people die for the sake of all of humanity or for a good person or something like this. But we don't really hear stories about the heroes that die specifically for the villains. Heroes that die for the enemies, the evil ones. While we were enemies of God, Christ died for us to save us. And being covered by the blood of the Lamb is a guarantee that we will be saved when we stand before God. So if we became friends of God or if we became reconciled to him while we were at our worst, while we were the most depraved, while we were the biggest of sinners, how much more so now that Christ's blood is covering us will we be saved through Jesus? I don't think there are any more words that are greater in terms of assurance in all of Scripture While we were at our worst, while we were God's enemy, he saved us. How much more so now being friends with God, now having been sanctified in the spirit and are growing more and more into Christ's likeness, how much more are we saved through Jesus? And if we jump down a little bit further in verse 18, after talking about how sin and death came into the world through Adam, which talk about a ripple effect, how would you like to be the person that destroys the whole world? Then Romans portrays Christ as the new Adam. And through his death and resurrection, he brings life to the world. So in verse 18, it says, yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone. But Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life to everyone. 
Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they are or were. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. So just as sin ruled over all people, giving us right standing with God, oh, whoops, I skipped the line. <laughs> so just as sin ruled over all people, all instead, um, oh yeah, I can't read. Woo, woo, woo. In verse 21, so just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Talking about sin and the ways that we have fallen short and the ways that which we've broken God's laws or whatever, that's all important. It's important to talk about. But the law was put into place to help us become aware of how broken we are, how much sin is in us. And as our sin grew more and more, God's grace kept growing. And this is one of the biggest reasons we need to do a deep dive on sin. It's not to shame anybody or make you question whether God loves you or like you or to make you feel isolated and that you're alone in what you're doing. Through actually, actually, it's all the opposite stuff, right? Church, my prayer throughout this series has been for us to feel convicted and have a growing awareness of our sin because until we realize the depths of our sin, we cannot begin to grasp how much deeper God's grace is. Our sin is great, but God's grace is greater still. Understanding God's grace, it releases the burden that we feel from the ways that we have destroyed God's world. Knowing God's grace, it just makes us feel lighter and free. And honestly, for me at least, it makes me just want to smile and, and laugh a little bit whenever you really think about how good this is. Maybe dance a little bit even, right? I think I can say that here. But like, it's, it's something that is so good. And it feels too good to be true if you really start thinking about it. But the crazy thing is, I mean, we're taught to not believe things that are too good to be true. But this is even better than being too good to be true because it is even truer than we know even truer than we realize because we don't have a full grasp of how deep and wide our sin is. But God's grace covers all of it. it. It just feels too good to be true, but it is true. And it makes it even more good. And experiencing then this monumental grace of God, it ought to lead us to respond. And one of the main ways I feel like it should is that God's grace helps us forgive others. A really good story in the Gospel of Luke is Luke chapter 7. And in this story, Jesus goes to dinner with a Pharisee, and a quote-unquote sinful woman comes into the house and falls at Jesus' feet and starts weeping on his feet and pouring perfume and wiping his feet with her hair and kissing his feet. And for some of you, that's like, that's like the biggest nightmare imaginable. If someone came in and started doing that to your feet, nope, no thank you. But... This is actually one of the most honoring gestures that a person could do. And that perfume is most likely from her dowry. It's part of her inheritance. It's, it's part of her wealth. And she's just pouring it at the feet of Jesus. And then this Pharisee freaks out. It's like, 
Sir, if you knew who this woman was, you would not let her be doing what she's doing because she's a sinner. And then Jesus tells the Pharisee this parable in verse 41. Then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other. But neither of them could repay him, so he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet. But she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, which I think that's kind of a funny aside by Jesus. He's like, trust me. I know what's in all human hearts. Her sins, and they are many, <laughs> there's a lot of them there, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love, but a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. How quick are we to withhold love and forgiveness for other people? The people that have wronged us, the ones who have done something that has frustrated us, right? We're pretty slow to show mercy and forgiveness. And another question that's important to ask is how quickly have we forgotten just how much Jesus has forgiven us? Just how many sins God has forgiven? If we were the, in the woman, in the, if we were in the story of the woman caught in adultery in John chapter eight, if you're imagining the scene and there's somebody who's brought before you who is a sinner, do you think that you would look more like, from the way that you live your life today, from the way that you post things on social media and the way that you talk to your friends, right? Would you look more like the person who's quick to pick up a stone and throw it at the person, or more like Jesus who's there ready to show unmerited grace? I think it's important to ask ourselves that. We have all sinned a ton in our lives. We have been forgiven a debt that we can't even fathom. Therefore, may we not neglect to show the proportional love that God has shown us to other people. If God forgave us while we were his enemies, how much more then should we be forgiving of other people that might be our enemies? Another thing that God's grace leads us to is God's grace leads us to freedom. And when I say freedom, I'm sure some of you are thinking about the way that we normally talk about freedom, which is like the ability to do whatever we want. And I'm, I'm really grateful to live in a country that gives a lot of freedom, and one of which is religious freedom. That's a huge gift. However, the ability to do whatever you want is not the main way that we see freedom talked about in Scripture. It's not this individualistic desire to do what you want to do. In fact, that line of thinking is actually the opposite of what we see in Scripture. In Galatians 5, in verse 13, it says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, 
For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other. So that what? You are not to do whatever you want. That is one of the most countercultural passages that maybe we could read in all the Bible today. <laughs> Freedom, in this sense, is not the ability to do what we want. We are not to gratify the desires of the flesh. We are to walk in step with the Spirit. So biblical freedom is not the ability to do what we want, but the ability through the Holy Spirit to actually be able to do what is good. The freedom that Christ offers us is true deliverance. The ability through the Spirit to reject our sinful desires and say yes to the way of Jesus, to the point where our will, the things that we want, our desires begin to start aligning with the desires of God. The freedom that Jesus offers us is one of a purely flourishing life, abundant life as he lived. We don't have to be slaves to our sin anymore. If we were in the prison cell, Jesus has opened up the gate we can walk out through the power of the Holy Spirit. We do not have to keep being prisoner to our sin. We can find deliverance and freedom today from our sin, church. Whatever you're going through, there is freedom in Jesus to walk into doing what is good. And that comes not through sheer willpower, but through sanctification in the Holy Spirit. And lastly, and this is related to the previous point, God's grace compels us to complete service for Christ. We have been shown grace and love <laughs> that is totally undeserved. Jesus gave his everything for us. So my question, and I ask myself this, is why am I not giving everything for Jesus? Why am I holding things back? And, and really, that's kind of the whole point of the book of Romans. And Romans 12, it's kind of the hinge of the book and everything that happens in the first 11 chapters, Paul says this, in view of God's mercy, in view of everything that he's done, in view of the great grace that he has shown all of us in all the many ways that we've failed, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. That is giving God our all, every single part of our lives. One of my favorite lines in a worship song is from When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. And it says this, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. From the sheer love of Christ, our hearts ought to be compelled to give Christ everything. To believe that the gospel is not just some good news among other, but like the most important news that everyone needs to know. Christ's love is so amazing and so life-changing. It's like, how am I not giving him everything? How do I not surrender my comfort and my preference and my choice sins so I can live in service fully for him and for his glory? Dallas Willard, in Hearing God, he has this really amazing quote, and he says this in ways better than I can. He says, God's intent for us 
is that we would grow to the point that we would do what we want because what we want is part of that shared understanding with God, our friend. It's true that God sometimes tells us what to do, but we are not simply in relationship of master and slave. Paul described himself as God's slave, but he didn't begin as God's slave. We are not driven or forced or coerced into servanthood, but drawn to it. We, like Paul, move into complete service as free people under someone who respects our wants and wills and helps us become the persons we want to be. Saints who have been drawn into this friendship and single-focused service or slavery become something no one has ever seen before. They become true individuals with true freedom who are unique because God has shaped their hearts and their wills. Their desires match up with God's desires and they are empowered to do what they and God want. I love this idea that we are not driven to servanthood. We are not forced to be a slave of God, but drawn. God doesn't have to force us to do this. God's love is so good. His ways are so kind that we become compelled to submit and serve Jesus as Lord. And submission in our culture is probably a bad word. Understandably, because there have been a lot of ways in which people have abused power. But submission to a perfectly good God that loves you more than you can possibly know is true freedom. It's freedom in a way that we can't even really understand. And through our friendship with God, our desires begin to align to the point where God can truly empower us to do whatever we want to do because what we want to do is exactly what God wants and is the thing that's going to bring the most good into the world. Church, I believe this morning God is beckoning us. He is calling us higher. To the people struggling with pride, God is calling us to humility and servanthood. To the people struggling with self-righteousness, he is calling us to recognize our sin and accept his grace. To the people held captive to lust, he is calling us to deeper love and freedom in him. To the ones refusing to admit their greed, he is asking us to be generous and see his provision as sufficient. God is calling us to walk into the freedom of his grace and not just us. There are so many people in this community and in this world that do not know Jesus as a friend. Some don't ever experience any level of kindness or love or mercy. Some feel so alone and isolated, depressed, anxious, fearful, and they feel powerless against the way that they feel. Their souls are crying out to find the ocean of God's love and grace. And in our friendships and in our work relationships and in our neighborhoods, at the playground, in the gym, wherever we find ourselves, God is giving us an opportunity to show the love that we have been shown by God. And we can show them that though they may have sin, though they may have brokenness in their lives, they are still loved in spite of their imperfections just like we are. So let's be a church that embodies the grace of God. Lord, this morning, <clears throat> we come before you and, and we admit that 
we're broken. That we have fractured and contributed to fracturing the world that you have called good. Lord, our sin is before us. It is all around us. But Lord, even more so is your presence. Even more so is your grace. And Lord, it's, it's a good reminder that there's no way that we can possibly merit our way to you. We can't possibly make ourselves righteous or holy in your sight. It is you alone, Jesus, who makes us holy. You're the one who speaks purity over our lives. It is your blood that cleanses us of all unrighteousness. And Lord, this morning, I pray that we find freedom as people. I pray that we find freedom from our sin, the stuff that is trapping us and we feel so unable and powerless to escape from. Lord, it it is through your power that that can happen. And we pray a healing and deliverance this morning in all of our hearts and our minds. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. And uh, if y'all could go ahead and stand. We're gonna conclude as we have uh, with a confession. But our confession this morning is not going to be like what it normally is to where we're confessing our sin. But we are confessing the truth about who we are in Jesus. So if, if you would like to read these words with me, Please feel free. Lord, we confess that our sin is great, but your grace is greater still. We confess that we are children of God and that you have greater things in store for our lives. Empower us to walk into your freedom and follow where you lead. Here we are, Lord. Send us.